Welcome to the Walk With Me podcast. I'm Pastor Stephen Vaughn from the Vine Church in Chapel Hill, Tennessee, and I'm excited that you are walking with me. What we do each day is we look at about three chapters of Scripture that I'm just organically reading through in my time with the Lord, and we're going to discuss them for around 20 minutes. You're going to get the most out of this if you read these chapters individually, but hopefully together we'll be able to hear the voice of the Lord as we're meeting each day. I'm stepping, I'm stepping out on your word. I'm stepping, I'm stepping out on your word. I'm stepping, I'm stepping out on your word. Today's passage is from Isaiah 52, 53, and 54. And uh, these are some these are some pa- uh, chapters and specifically some verses, uh, some passages that we're incredibly familiar with because um, they're just some of the richest promises of Scripture. And um, it's so, it's just so wild when you're reading these words. And, you know, for us, I, I would say for most of us, we probably became more familiar with the story of Jesus being told through the Gospels than we did the prophecies. You know, just... I would say that's probably the natural order of most people, um, and and probably should be. You know, we're because we're we should be very gospel forward and teaching people about the finished work of the cross through Jesus. And so we've taught you know that in our churches, we've taught that in our children's ministry and our youth ministries. You know, we need to continue to do so. So for us, we kind of learned these uh, these the. We kind of learned the history of God. We learned it sort of backwards because we don't, you know, typically become incredibly uh, knowledgeable about, you know, the timeline chronologically. I think the emphasis is more, as it should be, on Jesus and what's taking place and the call to the church and the New Testament. And I think then. I feel like, this is just my opinion as a pastor, and this might not be true for everyone, but then I feel it's though that people, when they're getting deeper into their faith, are really then becoming more uh, familiar with prophecy, more familiar with the Old Testament. Not just because the Old Testament kind of gets, just you just, we take its pieces, you know, Noah's Ark, and story of Abraham, and, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, David, you know, fighting Goliath. It's just like you just take its pieces, and so sometimes we lose its chronological value of the anticipation uh, and what was rising and th- how things were, were growing and falling and, and how it was all building attention for the coming of the Messiah. I think we lose that sometimes. And so I, I kind of say all that to say, when we read some of these amazing prophecies of the coming Messiah and every even little detail of the way in which he would come and how he would die and what uh, he would be purchasing through his death. I think we kind of read it and we go, yeah, yeah, Jesus, right. And we forget that this is is so far, you know, before, um, before Jesus had actually come yet it's it's grabbing so many amazing details um you know and and it's just it's just so cool how and god says that he's like there's no one like me because no one else you know can tell you exactly what is going to happen and then does it 
And, uh, so it's just, it's just so neat. And, um, you know, like Isaiah 53 is one that we're always, you know, quoting and, um, you know, it's so, it's so cool that this is probably written, you know, somewhere between maybe like, I want to say maybe five to 500 to a thousand years, maybe somewhere in that 700 year range before Christ came. And, um, it's pretty amazing when you think about the fact that, you know, we, uh, as I would say the majority of us, uh, of us as Americans, like our country hasn't even existed, uh, that long, you know, and, um, we think to George Washington and, you know, some of the forefathers of our, of our nation, you know, and think, you know, we think that was just so long ago, you know, it was just hundreds and hundreds of years ago, you know, you think about Columbus and, you know, you think about all these kind of things and that hasn't even been 700 years ago, you know, so you think about these words that were spoken of, this is exactly how the Messiah is going to come and this is what he's going to pay for and this is what's going to happen and then, you know, 500 to 1,000 years later, the Messiah comes and he does everything, fulfills everything that was spoken that he would fulfill. It's so amazing. And then for us, though, as the as the believer, we get, and I talked about this a couple of days ago, but we get the ability to read these words and realize that these aren't promises yet to be fulfilled, but that these promises are fulfilled in me through Christ Jesus. And so it's just for us, we begin to understand, uh, like, I, like I said, I think it was the other day, it's like going and looking at the 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 manual to the car that you just bought or maybe the car that you've owned for a year and you're looking in this manual and you're going man I didn't even realize that it did all of this kind of stuff and so for us we're going wow the death of Jesus really paid that I could have peace that's the whole truth of it guys the death of Jesus paid that I could have peace peace has been purchased okay and so therefore Everything that's not peace, everything that causes me to wrestle in my mind, everything that creates in me anxiety and depression, it's, it's, it's been paid for. The gospel says it's been paid for. It, Isaiah 52 and 3 and 4 and so many of these other chapters that we've read, it says that it's been paid for. We, we just read yesterday that everlasting joy will come. It's here. We have access to everlasting joy. There's such an attack on the mind right now, and the world is doing what only the world knows how to do, and that is that they fight what they can perceive in the natural. They fight it with the natural. So there's an attack on the mind, and, and, and the enemy is taking us captive mentally. And what what is happening then is the world is is writing their antidotes for it in the form of medication and in the form of, you know, whatever they can think of, yoga and, you know, transcendental meditation, just all these sort of different things that they can, you know, you know, and then a lot of people are just self-medicating through trying to fix what they think is wrong in their mind. That's like playing pinball, you know, like you worry about money all the time. You think you just need more of it. Yeah, because that that always fixes it, you know, but it, it's a rat race and the enemy is doing all this. And, and I just want to say, we just have to remember, if we belong to Christ, I can't, I no longer belong to the world and I don't fight my battles with the world. And so the, I, I need to remember that everlasting joy and peace that passes understanding has been purchased for me. And in my life, 
if I feel as though I'm no longer carrying everlasting joy and I'm no longer possessing peace that passes understanding, that means that I need to go and I need to get with the one who purchased it and I need to let him wash it over me fresh again. I need to spend time in the presence of the one who paid for me to have full salvation. Full salvation is what I think the church missed somewhere along in the 21st century. We we lost full salvation. Full salvation isn't everything sucks, but thank God Jesus paid that I can get out of this world one day and go to heaven. That is a very sad, very incomplete salvation. Full salvation is I belong to God. We read yesterday, my name is inscribed on the palm of his hands. He'll never forget me. I have no reason to fear. Okay, everlasting joy is mine. Peace that passes understanding is mine. Uh, Wholeness and healing of even my physical body is mine. I belong to him. Therefore, I become a part of Jesus's body and Jesus wants his body whole and healthy and healed and anything less than that's not full salvation okay and so we need to be people that really receive all that's been purchased and I think these chapters 52 53 and 54 I think they bless us by really drawing forward up to the the forefront of our attention, just how much has been paid for. And 700 years prior to these words being fulfilled, people would have clinged to these words and recited them over and over and over and over again and memorized them and taught them to their children, their children's children, their children's 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 children. You know, they would have continuously taught these words and they would have looked forward to the day of, oh, a day when everlasting joy is available. Oh, a day when my transgressions have been paid for and there's no guilt upon my head and there's no shame, but it's been cast as far as the east is from the west to me that someone came and and paid my for my iniquity. Oh, a day that will be. And I just think we've forgotten that that day has come and it is finished and I'm walking in joy. I'm walking in peace. I'm walking in love and I'm walking in forgiveness. And so it's just so amazing. I love it in 52. Uh, it says that, It says, uh, you were sold for nothing and you shall be redeemed without money. (coughs) Verse 6, therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. They break forth together into singing. And you know, and it's just this beautiful understanding of once the Messiah has come, There will be people that are messengers and their message is peace has been published. There's the good news of the gospel of happiness is here. There's salvation that has come. You know, I I feel like I talked about this, but it may not have been on the podcast, but there's been this move lately, you know, where there's whatever the, the term is prosperity gospel. And people are now, the church has grabbed hold of it and they're using it for uh, judgment and, you know, calling people, you know, you know, false prophets and everything. Cause the church loves to do that. We're, we don't like to look at ourselves and fix what's wrong in us. We'd rather look at the people, uh, that are doing God's work and 
talk about what's wrong in them because that that's just a lot easier. And so um, that's kind of become a thing. And and I'm not I'm not discrediting that maybe there's a gospel that's being preached that isn't quite accurate, or maybe it's not quite full enough. Because full gospel is prosper it does bring about prosperity, but it doesn't bring about prosperity of things uh, alone. Okay, God's blessed me with a lot of things. Okay, I'm a very I feel like I'm a very prosperous person. I don't know by whose standard, but I know I'm a prosperous person because the Lord has made me prosperous because I believe in Jesus and he's done a work in me. But as I look at my life, the most prosperous of things that he's done haven't been external but internal. So I do think we cheapen the gospel a little bit when we put too much of an emphasis on God's going to bless me externally because God's really got a bigger plan and that's to bless me internally. That's to give me joy and peace in the midst of anything. More than it is changing my circumstances that would promote joy and peace, it's about changing me from the inside out to where even if my circumstances don't change as quickly as I want them to, I still have joy and peace anyway. But I want to say, though, we can't be against this idea of that the Jesus promotes happiness, right? And, you know, we can't be so against this idea of prosperity gospel that we teach a very sad, sorrowful gospel because I don't know where we read that at in the Bible, right? We are a saved people, a holy people, a chosen race. I mean, this is stuff that gets me... You know, doing my podcast in my office, it gets me moving around and kind of shouting a little bit, you know, just kind of shaking, you know, like the Quakers, <laughs> because I just get passionate. I go, man, I'm a saved person and never, nothing that I've ever done is is even remembered anymore. And, and I've just got, I've just tapped into this new, you know, well of joy and that, that should get us excited. And I just don't know what gospel we're believing if we don't get excited about that kind of stuff. And so it says, you know, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. And of course, Jesus is the first one who has come and brought good news and who published peace and brought the good news of ha- happiness and then published salvation. But Romans, I think it's Romans, quotes this passage and says, how beautiful again are the feet of the messengers who bring the gospel. And so we know that Jesus is the one who came to publish it, right? And now we're the ones that are that are the ambassadors that are taking it places. And so uh, then it goes on to say, uh, verse 11, depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing, go out from the midst of her, purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. And uh, I just love that because there's always a call in scripture that while I'm being, what I've, that, that my sin is being paid for and I'm being made clean, that simultaneously as the Lord is making me clean, that I'm accepting the commission to be holy as he is holy or to separate myself. Okay. Meaning to, to be so in love with the things of God that I'm constantly pulling myself away from the things of the world. And people make a lot of, people make a big deal about all that. And they try to work grace into all this. And, and, and it's, it's, it confuses people how, how far we try to stretch this. But the truth of it is if I'm in love with God, then I'm going to fall out of love with the things of the world. And the things, if the things of God excite me, then the things of the world will grieve me. And his spirit comes inside of me to help me to discern the difference in the two. And so, yes, we must answer the commission to separate ourselves from the world and to, and to become pure. It says, go out from the midst of the unclean things and purify yourself, right? And so it's the Spirit of God that makes this possible, but it is our yielding to the process. Romans, again, makes it very clear that we're not to take grace and abuse it and think, well, you know, 
I'm a safe person. I can do what I want to, and that you know that that's just it's ridiculous. Because if I'm really a safe person and I really love God, then I'm repulsed by the things of this world because I'm so in love with the things of God, right? Otherwise, I'm an adulterer. Okay, if I'm really in love with my wife, then I'm in love with the things of my wife, and I'm not in love with the things of other women, or else I'm an adulterer, right? And so it, it's the same concept. And so then it begins to really speak at the end of 52, going into 53, these just, just amazing descriptions of what would come to the Messiah, what would happen in Jesus. And so it says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred. It was beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. And then it goes for, forward and it says, uh, For he grew up like uh, a young plant like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he was born our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jump down to verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his day. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by the knowledge that shall the righteous one, uh, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And so just just amazing. 53, I really could talk about 53 for about six days on this podcast at least. But, you know, just you just hear these words and you just hear the love of God and you hear of Jesus and you hear of the surrender and the sacrifice and the atonement and the full salvation that was paid for that we have access to. And you can just imagine uh, the Jewish people just clinging to this word and just going, oh man, that one day uh, my healing's paid for. Oh, that one day you know, and it's just this wild passage too that it says it's the will of the Lord to crush this servant, not that he's deserving of it, although people will perceive that he is, but he won't be, and he'll be silent in his suffering and led like a sheep, you know, before the shearer, but he'll do it for my sake because of how much he loves me, he'll pay that price. And so just just amazing, uh, just understanding of just the best uh, of doctrine and theology that we can possess, which is just that Jesus paid for me. I'm not worthy of it. I'm not deserving of it, but he did it anyway. And it was God's will to do so because of how much God loves me. And now I'm accounted as righteous before God because of this death that Jesus took and this beating and the pain and the sin that he he wore he wore my sin on him to the cross so that now I never wear my sin. I wear a coat of righteousness that Jesus bought for me on the day uh, of of crucifixion. And so just just amazing and you know fifty four um 
It doesn't slow down. I mean, 54 is just amazing. I love it. It starts talking about faith. It says, Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud. You who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. And so what it's talking about is saying, now that once we possess this salvation, what we see in the natural, it no longer matters anymore. So we now operate by faith. You can actually see the exchange from 53 to 54 because now it says we're operating in a kingdom of faith. So it says, sing, O barren one, meaning this, this, it, it, this is symbolic. It's, it means literally, but it's also symbolic. Sing the person who naturally has an impossibility in front of them. You can go ahead and celebrate and praise and rejoice because God will do it. It says, enlarge the place of your tent. Okay, so that's like, uh, I'm, I'm praying for a child. I'm going to go ahead and get their bedroom together. I'm going to move and act by faith because I know God's going to do it. It's in my heart and I'm believing for it, right? Go ahead and enlarge the tent. Go ahead and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Go ahead and believe for it and act on it and consider it done, right? Go ahead and pick up your mat and walk. You're praying for healing. Don't you lay around and wait for your healing. Pick up your mat and walk. Keep it moving. Believe for it. God's going to do it. You're a saved people. By His stripes, you are healed. It's taken care of. It is finished, right? And so it just shows us this whole switch of faith where I can really understand what's already been purchased <coughs> and how I and how I handle myself once I know what's already been purchased, right? You know, it's like it's like shopping. You know, you walk into a place and you, when you're shopping for something, you know, you're looking around and you're evaluating the price, you're looking at the price tags and you're, you know, you're just, you know, you, you, you know, the whole process of it and you're kind of examining things and can I afford it? Do I really need it? You know, it's this whole process, but you know, it, it, it's, I had the luxury. I was actually just, me and Lauren were just talking about this last night. I had a luxury one time in my life. I was about 16 and uh, my uncle took me shopping for, he took me back to school shopping. I never forgot the experience because it's really, it was really a unique experience. He told me, he said, everything is on me. And the one rule is don't even look at the price tag of anything. He said, if I see you look at the price tag of it, I'm, I'm going to get it anyway. So I'm just going to put it in there. So don't even look at the price tag. You know, he's essentially saying it's already paid for. You just get what you want and put it up on the counter and, and, and it's coming home with us. And I just remember is this, it was, I've never shopped like I shopped that day. It was so weird the way that I shopped. I just, if I wanted it, my, you know, I, I didn't consider the cost of it or anything. I just, you know, put it on there and he was just promoting me the whole time. He's like, oh, you want, you like that? Why don't you get that in two more colors? You know, well, you got four shirts here. Why don't you get a couple more pairs of pants? You know, well, you need a belt. Let's get a belt, you know. <coughs> it blessed me so much the trip did and I've never forgotten it and I just feel like us as believers if we're believing in, in what Jesus did through Isaiah 53 then we need to start operating as the barren one did in Isaiah 54 which is understanding what Jesus paid for and stop always evaluating things in the natural realm of like well it's cancer gosh well we owe two thousand dollars that's a lot of money. Oh, but my marriage, and he's such a, he's such a jerk. 
oh, his heart is so hard. And we just, you know, we start tallying up the bill. Like, oh, can God do this? This is heavy. This is expensive. This giant's so tall. It's like, no, we've been transferred into the kingdom. Sing, O barren one. Stretch out the tent. Make room for God to move and have breakthrough. Act and move by faith. Right? We know the Spirit of God prompts this in us. This isn't a name it, claim it kind of a thing. This isn't a, well, I'm, I'm, I'm claiming my portion. and I'm just going to go ahead and put down the down payment. I'm going to believe God for the rest of it. You know, it's not about me. It's about His kingdom. And whenever there's a kingdom desire in me, I know God's going to, God's going to provide for it right? There's a kingdom desire in you, whether it's to have children or whether it's to have a restored marriage or whether it's to have a healed body. You can believe God for it and you can celebrate now before it's even come because that's an exercise of faith. You're believing for it. God's going to do it. And it says, it says, uh, for your maker is your husband. And that's talking about, it says, you're, you may be a widow. And so you think, and you may be barren. And you think, how am I going to have children? Well, the reason why is because God is in the equation. Whatever it is that seems impossible for you right now, you've forgotten that God is in the equation. God is in this. And therefore, it's not impossible. Right? And then it goes on to say, uh, of course, the big passage in this that we all quote so much that we love. It says, and no weapon that is fashioned against you shall shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. So you're this holy, set-apart, redeemed people with your name inscribed on the Lord's hand. And so, of course, you have no reason to fear, because even that which is formed against you, it will never prosper. Okay, and he says, my steadfast love will not depart from you. My covenant of peace shall never be removed. I will always have peace for you. I will always have joy for you. He even says, all your children shall be taught by the Lord and great and great shall be the peace of your children. Isaiah 54, 13, somebody start writing that verse down and clinging to it and meditating it over and over and over and over again in scripture that the word says that because you're my servant, I personally will teach your children. Oh, that is so good. I will teach your children. Your children shall be my children, and I will give them peace. I mean, that's just awesome. He he answers in Isaiah 53 and 54. He literally answers almost everything that we, we ever worry about, right? Our family, our children, our barrenness, our difficulties of our situations, our healings, our body, you know, provision. And he's like, you know, you're going to be transferred into my kingdom. And I already paid the bill. I already paid the bill. So you just celebrate and praise and enjoy your life. Worship me with gladness and singing. Don't be brought down by shame and guilt that's been dealt with at the cross. Long before you were ever born, I had already paid for it because I knew you'd commit it. Now you can walk in freedom and in life. And we need to remember these things. We need to open up that manual in the glove box of the car of our lives and look back at what's been paid for and stop calculating how can I afford peace and what can I do to get joy and and how am I going to get from here to there? And I need to remember, hey, it's been paid for. All I have to do is walk in it, enjoy it, believe for it.